Hey, everybody. I'm your host, Gene Marks, and this is season two of the Paychecks Business Series podcast. I'm a certified public accountant, a regular business columnist for a bunch of publications you may know, like The Guardian, The Washington Times, and The Hill. But most importantly, I'm a small business owner of a financial and technology management services company, and I've teamed up with Paychecks, the leading provider of human resources, payroll, benefits, and insurance services to bring you real-life stories and advice from real-life business owners and experts. Now, last season, we talked about the challenges associated with COVID, and this season, we're moving on forward, we are focusing on innovation and navigating the road to recovery. My special guest for this episode is Richard Grader. Richard is the he is the president and co-owner of Grader's Ice Cream Company, which is based in Cincinnati. Richard, I, I I'm, first of all, I'm thrilled that you're on here, and and I understand that your company has been around for a couple of years. Or did you just start it up this summer? Yeah. <laughs> We have been around, we were celebrating, or we are celebrating our 150th birthday this year. That is insane. You know, it's funny, when I when I think of businesses um, that have been in business for as long as that, um, you know, usually they're like in Japan, really. There, there's like a predominance of, of family-owned businesses that have been around for, and, and I would also think like if there's any business that could last that long, uh, I think the ice cream business I would probably put up there. I mean, how can you go wrong, right? Everybody loves ice cream, but if you think about it, you go back 150 years, there was something missing back then that we have today and kind of take for granted, and that was freezers. So my great-grandfather founded us in 1870, and back then, you know, there was no no refrigeration, no freezers. The only way you could make something cold was you had ice that you carved out of the the lake from the winter before, and um, so that's, that's how we got our start. Is the business that much different than when you were a kid? Um, in some ways, yes, but in many ways, no. And you know what I mean by that is we still make ice cream on something called a French pot freezer. And that makes ice cream just two and a half gallons at a time per machine. And it takes about 15 minutes. So it's a very labor-intensive, slow process. And um, it's the way everybody made ice cream back at the turn of the century. I mean, turn of the last century, the 1890s, 1900. And it was a very mom and pop kind of thing. So we still make ice cream that way. So that in that regard, we're very much like we used to be. How we're different is, you know, we're doing this in the 21st century. So when I was a kid, we had four machines in an old plant that my great grandmother actually opened in the middle of the Great Depression. So today we have a modern plant, of course, for food safety and and protocols. And even though we still use these French pot freezers, we have uh, 37 of them running morning, noon, and night. So same old process, but in a 21st century context and making significantly more than we ever made back in those old days. Sure. Where do you get the freezers? Do you build them yourself? We do. They are are custom manufactured for us to order by a company here in Ohio. So you, you can't go out and buy one anywhere. Um, not that anybody would want to. It's a really, it's a crazy way to make ice cream because it's it's so inefficient and it takes so, so long to do it. And when the ice cream comes out of the machine, it's actually ready to eat. And what that means is it's really thick. Mm-hmm. And because it's so thick, every pint has to be packed by hand. Literally, a guy sits there with a an ice cream. It's called a spade, but it's like a scoop that he uses to hand pack each pint. And, um, you know, nobody would make ice cream that way today. 
but we still do. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You know, I mean, there, there are a lot of things that our, our grandparents and great-grandparents did 150 years ago that, although it sounds great in the good old days, uh, let's face it, today's technology is a little bit better, you know, and I can name a, probably a thousand examples. So you guys internally must have had conversations about, you know, just from a business, from a cost perspective, like, you know, should we continue to do it this way? Those conversations probably started back in the 20s. Yes, right. Because in 1926 is when the modern continuous process ice cream production, uh, that's when that machine was invented. So, and really right after that, all through the 20s and the 30s is when ice cream got industrialized. And I'm sure my great-grandmother you know, was faced with that question. Do I adopt this new technology or or not? And she chose not to. And because of that, we're still here. Um, I think everybody else were either driven out of business or they adopted this modern technology, but she, she stuck by it. And every generation since then has um, honored that decision of hers and stuck with the French pot freezer. But that doesn't mean we don't innovate. I mean, things are very different today than they were back then in her era. So I like to, I mean, I'm a big, a big fan of Jim Collins. I don't know if you're familiar sure, with him. Of course, the good to great. Uh, Bill, uh, good to great. And this book before that was Built to Last. Built to Last, sure. A little less famous, but I think um, equally um, inspiring for me because I think of Graders as a company that was built to last. And, uh, and his big... Uh, his catchphrase from that book was um, you, you always want to preserve the core and stimulate progress. And the point of that is it is not a binary either or decision. You can, and in fact, those companies that are built to last, you must do both. Preserve that core that makes you different and special, but never hesitate to stimulate progress when, when, where you can. And that's kind of, I think, what we have done this last um, 15 years and the, the fourth generation's tenure. I mean, we've, we've, we opened up that new ice cream plant and we, we've brought modern pasteurization. We actually have a robot in our freezer that builds our pallets. My father never dreamed of having a robot build pallets in a freezer. Very modern, but at the heart is still that French pot freezer. That's our core that we've preserved. And, and that's really what's what's I think carried us through every generation. Every generation has taken that legacy that was passed on to them, preserved it, but made it better and passed it on to the next. You know, one of the biggest things that stops family-owned businesses from from continuing on through generations is the family. Yeah. So so, um, you guys have managed to do that so far. And I'm curious to understand what you've done to manage family, nepotism, co-owners, kids. What what have you learned about that process? That it's really difficult. Yeah. <laughs> it's um it's probably the hardest thing in a family business is that transition and it's without question. And um we struggled with it and I you know to be perfectly honest, we struggled with it for years. Yes. But um and yeah, at that some point, it's just my two my two cousins and I. And what actually, how we resolved it is the three of us got together and figured out what what we thought would work for a transition. Then went back to our parents, our our two fathers. So um, two of my partners are our brothers; they're my cousins. So the three of us went to our parents and our aunt and said, um, 
you know, this is our proposal for transitioning the business. And I think they were so happy that the three of us agreed on something that they said, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and also they were, they were really, I mean, I think they were, gosh, in their seventies at that point, they were, I think, ready for us to, to pick up the reins, but they never went far. I mean, they, they, you know, our aunt still, she's in her, you know, 80 and she still comes to work every single day. We had a leadership meeting and she was on the call this morning. So, you know, it's, I think what really what it boils down to is you just have to learn to trust one another. And you, the real realization that is important is you're stronger together and, and that you can make more of the business working together more for everyone than, than you ever could uh, working apart. And I think once you, you reach that realization, then you can focus on what's important, which is making a good product and serving your customers and, and, and building a great team. Sure. And that's what we've done this last 15 years. Well, you've learned, I mean, you and your, your cousins certainly work things out and that's, that's a great, and that was, that was a, a period of time and, and that's a good thing. What about now though, Rich? I mean, what, what about the future? Um, what are you doing now? What, what are the issues that you have about succession and trans, you know, transitioning your business to the, to the next generation? Have you guys taken some steps to, to address that? That's a timely question because my, uh, my, youngest just started college this year. She's a freshman in Miami. Uh, my cousins, my one cousin's oldest is, is working in Washington, DC um, in the realm of politics, but I don't know if that's a long-term career form. And, and uh, my other cousin has a, a few kids, one of whom is, is interested. So they're, they're just at the beginning of, of being, we're at the beginning of thinking about the fifth generation. So the the mission to the kids or the vision to them was go away, learn, go work somewhere else, get experience working for another party, but, and then, and bring that back, that talent, that education, that experience back to the family. And, and then we will start working on the fifth generation. And I think what, what we want to do differently than the prior generation is, is really define the expectations at the beginning. I mean, my two cousins and I had been working here for years before we ever sat down to start talking about transition plans. And we'd like to start lay out how it's going to unfold at the beginning of their career with us. And I think the vision is over time as they're working here while, while we're still here, they'll begin to earn equity in the business. And then when we're ready to retire, and that, that's what's important is <laughs> we can't retire until we get that fifth generation in here. So I'm kind of motivated to make that happen. But the question is whether or not whether they are. I mean, you know, a lot. I've, I don't know if you found the same thing. I think you and I are pretty close in age where you've got a generation that uh, they say, oh, yeah, I don't want to work in the family business in Cincinnati. I want to go to Washington and, you know, yeah. do something in pot, whatever. And then, you know, they get out in the big world um, and they do that for five or seven or even 10 years. And then they start looking and saying, you know, dad's got a pretty nice business back in Cincinnati. <laughs> like I can, you know, it's got its challenges, but you know, I can have a nice life there. And then suddenly there's interest. Do you, do you see that happening? Do you see the next generation having an interest in coming back and running an ice cream company? I do. And there's, you know, there's maybe not every member of the fifth generation will. My, my sister in the fourth generation, she wasn't interested in this business and she still, she lives in Cincinnati and, but she, you know, pursued a different uh, career. And so that's okay. And I told both of my kids, you don't have to do this. You can pursue whatever passion you have. And indeed you should pursue your passions. But if 
this is something you want, then you must prepare yourself and get experience and bring something to the table. It's not, you know, while, while I'm not obligating you to come into the family business, you don't, it's not a privilege that you get just for the heck of it because your last name matches what's over the door. So, um, and I've been, I've been very happy that both of my kids have expressed interest and they're pursuing different, different disciplines at, um, at college that will be, and what's different now, but back in the day, you know, you, you made ice cream and you sold ice cream. It was very basic, but today, you know, we have social media, we yes. have finance, international transactions, things. supply chain management, right? You have a whole bunch of things. And you just mentioned several of the, th- yeah, I'm pushing my son to look at supply chain management. My daughter's looking at, um, emerging technologies in business. My cousin's uh, son, his youngest, has just started a University of Cincinnati last year. He's in the business program there. So it's, you know, there, there's lots of different ways to contribute to the business. And the other thing that's really different about our generation is we have a whole lot of non-family key leaders. And back in my, our parents' era, you know, you were, uh, the leaders were the graders, our, our two fathers and our aunt, and then everybody else was, you know, a worker bee. Yeah. Today, uh, our team is actually predominantly non-family. Our CFO is non-family, our chief of marketing, non-family. And, and that is, I think, really the critical difference about our generation versus the, the prior one is we have brought talent from outside of the family into the business. And, you know, we wouldn't, would not be where we are today had we not done that. Out of curiosity, and then we'll uh, I'll, I'll leave this topic, but I just, um, because I know we, we only have limited time, but but so you mentioned about having outsiders working in the business, which is, you're absolutely right. That is, uh, that is really a key differentiator between companies that are poised uh, for the future uh, versus companies that are still living in the past. Just out of curiosity, Rich, do you guys have, um, like, do you have any outsiders on, on your board or outside advisors uh, to your company as well? We do not have a board of directors. Um, we have really the senior management team as my two cousins and I, and then five other members of the team. And we meet weekly. And then we also have the quarterly and the annual meeting. So that's really the board that runs the business. Right. And it's predominantly non-family members. We did years ago had a board of advisors as we were um, on our, our first quarter. Our, our, our growth spurt when we were going from a local business to a national business. And, and they were, that was more of an advisory role, but we, they were, those guys were, I mean, it was, you know, they were certainly instrumental in helping us make decisions back then. Sure. But, and I think though, and I don't mean to say that a board of advisors isn't important. That's why we don't have one. It's just where we are now. We, we're kind of in a place where we didn't need one, but I do envision as we bring in that fifth generation, I think at that point, a board of advisors will, will be back on the scene and be very important to helping them um, manage the future. So Got board it. of advisors, definitely, but just our team now is, is just phenomenal. So they kind of serve that role. So let me wrap up our conversation with just you. We started it talking about the age, you know, the, you know, the, the, your, your ice cream shop has been around for 150 years. Um, 150 years from now is the year 2171 to give you an example. Um, but there's, there's been a lot of history and I'm hoping that, you know, there's been a lot of lessons learned from history. So, you know, Rich, what, what do you think you've, you've taken away? You've been in this business for a long time now and you're trying to position it for the future. What is the future? I look at graders as we're an indulgent dessert. And 
I think indulgence is, is going to be around in the future. Now, how we deliver it, that, that could change. I mean, you, how, how dairy is produced is certainly innovations that we'll be um, looking at. But mm -hmm. at, at the end of the day, we are a family business making a product for families. And I don't think that's going to change. So I, I would like to think we'll be on our sixth or seventh generation making ice cream the same old fashioned way our great grandmother Regina was making it just for a new era of customers. I mean, that's, that's really what we've been about this last four generations. And I see no reason for that to change for the next four. Richard Grader is the is the president and co-owner of Grader's Ice Cream Company in Cincinnati. Uh, Richard, what is Grader's website? Very simple, www.graders.com, but you have to spell it wrong to spell it right. It's G-R-A-E-T-E-R-S. I think you've I think you've given that speech more than once before, <laughs> which is great conversation. I'm glad to hear that you're you're doing your thing and you're moving towards the future. And I wish you luck with uh, your succession and the next generation of of family members and children that take over this business. You've just uh, you've done a great job. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Take sure. care. For more great podcast episodes from the Paychecks Business Series podcast and other information to help you run your business, please visit paychecks.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. I'm Gene Marks. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again soon. This podcast is property of Paychecks, Inc., 2020, all rights reserved.